It's time to start the podcast. It's time to hit the mics. It's time to start the podcast with Moon, P. Jug, and Hobbs. I want to introduce everybody because not everybody knows any of us because this podcast is hardly listened to at all. Okay, so we are really nothing of importance to anyone. But if you're fortunate enough to have found us on the interweb at moonpjugandhobbs.com, you've heard us talk to a neurologist, an autistic weatherman, two guys with no legs, a guy with um, that was on Survivor that got bit by a critter and had to be airlifted off. Uh, we've had a magician. We've had last week, for example, an author who talked about addiction. And then now today we've got the regular cast of players. So we got me, Moon, and then we have P-Jug. That's my wife. P-Jug here. And then we have Hobbs over here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And she's gone by a lot of different names. And then our guest has always used uh, one name most of the time, but he's had many names over the years writing books using names that you might not recognize right off the bat. We'll get to that here in just a second. First of all, is there anything that we need to promote uh, before everybody stops listening? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, let me tell you how Dom ended up on today's podcast. Many, many years ago, I was working at a radio station in Denver, Colorado. I'm on from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Uh, at a station called Y108, K-R-X-Y. And this radio station had the highest ratings of any top 40 station in the entire country. People just loved it. I mean, the uh, promotions that we did, the music that we played, we were lucky enough as personalities to even get a job there. And then Dom would come in after me. He was working 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. And he was the music director. So he had to do all the you know, meeting with the record labels and meeting with the artists and all that stuff. But eventually, Dom then um, went into management. And uh, sure enough, then Dom had to fire me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I always wondered, how did that go down anyway, right? So because didn't that same day, weren't there like 23 people fired or something like that? Oh, they gutted the whole radio station. I think I was there uh, for a month after you, and then yeah, we were all gone. We were all gone. You well, just got uh, you just got to leave so that you could go to that peachy gig down in Houston and wow <laughs> the people of South Texas for a while. Now Dom actually used to live in Texas, and you've lived all over the place. We can get to that. So that's uh, Abilene is where you kind of got into the business, isn't that correct? Yeah, I was just 16, and I walked into a radio station in in Abilene, Texas, and asked that's for a job. Cool. Obviously, no experience doing anything. You know, and I came in saying, hi, she would like a job. Uh, and they said, you start Saturday. And, you know, <laughs> like back in those days, I mean, you and I are from, you know, the ancient days is that they were just desperate for help, really, <laughs> especially on weekends. And so, uh, you know, the guy says, do you have any experience? I said, yeah, I was in a school play. He goes, you're hired. <laughs> that's That's how that got started. And then I went to Denver and yeah, so. The rest is history. Now, listen to this. Not many people outside of the radio business may have an idea of what the longevity is of doing one shift on one radio station, because like in a city the size of Minneapolis, there's 40 some stations in Denver, which is actually a smaller market than Minneapolis, have more radio stations. They're called over radio, like, you know, every, you know, two notches on the FM, you've got a new station. So there's a lot of competition. There's all that. And, you know, when Dom and I worked together along with, uh, you know, uh, Dave Otto, the morning guy, uh, Steve Smith was in there, Scott Letourneau, all these people you have no idea who I'm talking about. But we had a really successful run there uh, until it, it got sold. And then Dom ended up at another radio station uh, that had legendary call letters, K-I-M-N. It's called Mix 100. And you've been there now, the same guy on the same show in the same city for over 25 years. Isn't that right? My first day doing the morning show at that station was one week after Bill Clinton was inaugurated. Whoa. So it was, uh, yeah, it was January of 93. So it's been 28 and a half years doing mornings and... 
But, you know, I've been very fortunate. I've worked with a great team, and they just let me stick around. So, and you have a partner right now named Jeremy, right? Yeah, Jeremy's actually been on the show for about uh, for 17 years. Wow. He started as a producer, so he was behind the scenes. He was never on the air, but he was a, he was a funny kid. He was 25 when he started. And he would just be behind the scenes, you know, cutting tape, putting the best of shows together. And he used to tell us funny things off the air. So occasionally, you know how this works. Occasionally we would bring him in, you know, and we would say, hey, kid, be funny. And and he would be. So he gradually worked his way up to become a producer of the show and then a full time member of the on air team. And then, yeah, then it officially became the Dom and Jeremy show in twenty. 15 2016 so he paid his dues for a long time but he's he's terrific he's he's one of the best people i've ever worked with you know don kind of followed my career going bounce around all over the place after i left uh you know that station in denver i ended up on another station in denver and uh it was a morning show my first morning show and they didn't do a great engineering study when they turned on kqks right and the, when they turned the radio station on it blew all of the emergency uh, signals for Boulder County, uh, so they had no ability to call nine one one. They had no. Uh, they couldn't call cop car to cop car. I mean, it blew out everything, right? How does that even happen? <laughs> well, they I, just, they, I didn't even know they were connected. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't spend the money to do it right, and the next thing you know, I get a phone call. You need to shut the transmitter off, uh -oh. right? And I'm like, oh, okay, so. Shut the transmitter off. When they bring it back, they bring it back at a much lower power, right? So only dogs could hear us. It was about that bad. I think we've all got some sort of story like that. The station that I worked at down in Texas was, you know, a little rinky-dink operation, and we were constantly knocked off the air by squirrels. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. I mean, squirrels would be out at the transmitter site, and they would jump onto some high-tension wire or something, fry themselves, but it would knock the radio station off the air because of freaking squirrels. <laughs> you know, that that is the thing about our business. We do have a bunch of stories to share about all different kinds of stuff. And like I say, uh, you know, Dom ended up being lucky enough to stay in Denver all those years because, you know, people just, you know, to be honest with you, they love the guy. Otherwise, you know, a radio station won't keep you that long. Uh, and then, you know, we all go through changes in 28 years of one job. Think about any life in 28 years. You have children. They have children, right? And eventually, if you stay on the air long enough, you know, you'll end up with multi-generation listeners in a family, which turns out pretty sweet. It helps your ratings out, stuff like that. Am I incorrect in saying that you found out with doctors that you had some oddball disease that made you have to move? Now, I'd never heard of this before. And, and let me tell you, as a guy who spends a lot of, of time with medicine, right, <laughs> <laughs> and all kinds of medicines, what do you have that made you move from Denver? Well, I have a very rare form of apnea, so sleep apnea. But the sleep apnea most people are familiar with is the kind that's like an obstruction, so you're yep. snoring and all that. I don't have that. I don't snore. I don't have anything like that. What I have is called central apnea. And what that basically means, this will freak you out, it's your brain in the middle of the night Stopping the signal to breathe. Whoa. Wow. So you're sleeping and your brain essentially is trying to kill you. Your brain is saying, I don't think you need to breathe right now. And so you will in your sleep stop breathing. And, you know, after a while, you're, uh, you know, you get a jolt of adrenaline to wake you back up. And so you have really crappy sleep patterns. And it just came on, you know, after many years. Uh, and I went to see a doctor and I said, you know, what? What can be done? He goes, the main thing that would help you is moving away from altitude. He goes, it is exacerbated by altitude. This guy used to do all sorts of sleep studies for uh, um, some of the cadets down at the Air Force Academy in, the, in Colorado Springs. And uh, that's what they found. They said, if you get out of altitude, you'll probably be better off. So I, after 33 years living in Denver, uh, moved closer to sea level, I moved to uh, North Georgia. Just like that, sleep improved. You know, everything got better. So a lot of people, you know, that it doesn't necessarily help, but for me it did. So I still do the morning show in Denver, 
but I'm doing it from my uh, from my house in Georgia. So and you get to sleep in uh, later because the time change. Okay, now let me tell you something. I have all these people who say, "Why did you move to Georgia?" And I said, "Well, there's a couple of reasons. A, I could get twice the house for the money. Yeah. And B, Eastern time zone while I'm doing a Mountain time zone show. Oh yeah. So while we start at you know quarter to six on the air, it's quarter to eight for me. My idea was that maybe I should move to England <laughs> because then I would be starting at like 1 p.m. I could yeah. really sleep in, get up, have a nice breakfast, go for a walk, do whatever. And then at one o'clock, put the headphones on and do a morning show. <laughs> I know this I when that. I got to uh, when I got to go to the Olympics in Barcelona, Spain for that radio station, KS 104. Uh, Dean Kerfman and I broadcast. Uh, from Barcelona in the uh, latter part of the afternoon, it was morning drive time in Denver. When you get up and go to work in the morning, you listen to these radio station morning shows. These people uh, live a whole different life. When you get up at three o'clock so that you're ready for a five o'clock show or whatever, for me, I would get up at 310. I had a coffee pot that was run on a timer. I had a full pot of coffee as soon as I woke up. I had a travel mug that I drank coffee in the shower with, right? I'd get in and I'd start hounding the caffeine. And by the time I got to the radio station, I was wide awake. But it's really hard when you have to fall asleep at 8 o'clock. Uh, you know, it's still light. And, and you know, Hobbs has been, uh, you know, morning radio for years, both at B96 here and then later at KS95. Uh, and, and what time did you have to get up as a producer? Uh, for a light day, 3.30, and that was if there wasn't uh, like a snowstorm or a blizzard or... Well, you know, and this of... gives us all an opportunity here to kind of um, bitch back at our <laughs> employees who... Everybody who's ever done morning radio has experienced <laughs> the same thing where you're leaving at noon, you've put in a full day... And you constantly are running into, you know, people in the accounting office or the sales office. And they're always like, oh, must be nice going yeah. home at 12, right? That's their, yeah. you know, their stock line. And I'm always right back in their face saying, yeah. And what the hell were you doing at 3.30 this morning, yeah. Joker? Exactly. You know, exactly. if they think they're so cool, like, oh, you must be really nice going home at 12. They don't have any idea how brutal it is on your body. To get up at 3.30 every damn day. This was one of the things about uh, mornings that I like. You get off at noon on Friday, so you basically get a three-day weekend. You have all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday to mess around. And that, you know, when I was down in Texas, I was playing golf literally every day. Tell us the part of Georgia you're living in now. What's the name of the town? <laughs> well, I don't want to say what town I'm living in. But okay. I will tell you that it's, uh, it's north of Atlanta. North of Atlanta? So it's North Georgia. I'm in the beauty, I'm in the woods. I live in the boonies. I live out in the country. I couldn't love it more. It's beautiful. Uh, it's peaceful. Here's the thing. You, you remember in Denver, Denver is essentially uh, a high plains desert. Yes. So there are some trees in Denver, but not a ton of them. And here I have moved to the forest. And I mean forest. I mean yeah. eight gazillion trees. And our biggest concern here is a tree falling over into the house because it happens a lot, actually. I'll bet. I kind of wish I'd made the move a long time ago. I miss Denver. I mean, Denver's in my heart. Um, and I miss my friends there a lot. But A, the doctor said, if I don't move, it'll kill me. So that tends to get you, it tends to encourage you to follow their advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm you know, living better and healthier, and I live in a beautiful place. So it's all good. I know for me, I'm dealing with sleep apnea right now, right? And what they did was they just put me on oxygen. Uh, but yeah, my oxygen levels were getting into the 50s, okay? And when they're saying you're in the 50s, uh, you have severe sleep apnea. Sleep apnea can be worse than you might think. I think part of it, too, is uh, that decades of training your brain to wake up at a certain time. I don't know if anybody's done a long-term study on that, but I would suggest it. Uh, for people who work shifts, you know, in anything, whether they're nurses or, you know, police or something, and they have to start a shift at 5 a.m. Or, or something like that, they ought to do a study to find out people who, after, you know, 10, 20 years of doing that, see how it really jacks with their system. 
And I think that had something to do with it, too. So the fact that now I sleep till six, you know, which it's not sleeping in, but it beats the hell out of 3.30. The last time uh, Dom and I saw each other in person along with P-Jug was at a reunion that we had for the radio station we used to work at where all the people that were on the air at that time came back, as did some of the other employees in sales and other departments. And we had just the best time hanging out. And uh, we brought my uh, my wife's daughter, and she was exposed to some of the weird that we had at that radio station, <laughs> and which was great. And I got to go back to Denver, which, by the way, is my second favorite city in the world, number one being Vancouver, British Columbia. God, I love that place. It's clean. The food is wonderful. Everyone speaks English. Uh, you've got uh, mountains, oceans, rivers. You've got it all. It's uh, it's just shopping. The roses and the parks there are gorgeous. Then Denver, number two. Minneapolis, for me, was not somewhere I wanted to be. I ended up, and uh, Dom, I'm not familiar if you know the story, but I got called in to a breakfast with my boss in Houston after being there 10 years. It was on Labor Day weekend, and I said, this smells like I'm fired. Here's this guy that I know loves me who says, you know, we've come up with a, uh, a different direction that we want to head, and you're not going to be a part of that. But um, you've done a great job. You've set a lot of records for income and and uh, ratings and all that stuff. But, you know, we want to make a change. I've been through three co-hosts at that point. I go, okay, fine. I had called KS95 up here to talk to a manager who I had seen at LAX at the rent-a-car place across the street from the main terminal. There's a guy I see, and I thought, God, that's Leighton Peck. I know that's him. I used to drink beer with him, right? But I didn't want to walk up to him because I thought I'd seem like a creeper. Right. And so I don't. I look him up on Google when I get back to Texas. I called him. I said, hey, how you doing? Nice to talk to you. He goes, well, I thought that was you. He said, you've gained weight. I said, you've lost all your hair. And, and, and so we started going back and forth. That's the start of a beautiful relationship right there. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I get the news that I am now going to be terminated. And I had called uh, the guy in Minneapolis back and I said, you know, what, what's cooking up there? We were just talking. Uh, and he said, well, we're going to do an afternoon show. And it's not going to be like just you. It's going to be like an ensemble of four people. And I'm like, wow, that sounds like a morning show. That sounds awesome. We should try that because nobody would pay for that kind of, you know, amount of people on one show in the afternoon in the whole country. You know, the guy told me, he goes, you know, we're, we're going to do this show and, you know, would you consider coming to Minneapolis? And I said, well, how cold does it get there? And he goes, oh, God. And I said, I'll buy more pants. I didn't have, <laughs> when I lived in Texas, I had like one pair of jeans and like 47 pairs of shorts, right? Because you didn't ever wear pants. It was 5,000 degrees all the time. Now, Dom, you've lived not just in Texas and Colorado, but you had, you know, on your childhood, you bounced around a bit, too. Yeah, well, my dad was uh, in the service. I was uh, an Air Force brat. I'm not from anywhere. I, I moved every two years all over the world. Um, and sometimes I wonder if that is what played a part in a career choice, maybe, because when you have to move every two years as a kid, you're constantly meeting new people and you learn how to adjust in a situation I don't know, because I'm an introvert by nature, I enjoyed things like, you know, movies and drama, and but I had lived all over. And that's funny, because I moved every two years, then I go to Denver, and I'm there for 33, and that was <laughs> odd. But here's, this is the truth, though, and I thought about this before, too. When I lived in Denver, I moved every few years to a different house. It was a conscious decision. I think subconsciously, I'm just used to having moved new surroundings. But I loved doing the morning show at the station. I didn't want to leave that. And now I'm in a new place and a new zip code and love it. Um, so, Dom, I was just wondering about your history with your writing of your books and um, what brought that to your life? Well, part of that, uh, I was talking about being an introvert and I was talking about moving all the time. And so 
when you have that happen as a kid, the one of the only constants in my life was the library. Mm-hmm. So I was everywhere okay. I moved, I was just a reader. I was a big time reader. I think most people who are hardcore readers at some point have a little, you know, idea tickling in the back of their head, like, well, maybe I could do this. You know, I, I, I read enough. I feel like I know how to kick one of these out. Right. So I used to always write for fun. And it was just a hobby until about the time I was leaving Y108. About the time you and I left, I thought I probably should get serious with this and do something about it. Oh, almost 20 years ago, I put out a, um, a book for young adults, it's a young adult science fiction novel. And that turned into a series. And then it got signed by a, a big publisher in New York. So I put out half a dozen books with them. Um, and since then, I've branched off. I write under a variety of names, so a bunch of pen names. But altogether, it's 21, 22 books right now. And there will be several more coming out in the next year, actually. So. Wow, that's yeah. very impressive. It's a nice creative outlet. Everything I do in my life is with words. So I'm either talking on the radio, um, I speak professionally, and I write. So I just make a living from words, you know, Yeah. in a, in a variety of different ways. Well, so you speak professionally, but you said you're an introvert. So how does how does that go together? I don't have a problem being in front of a crowd if the, if, if the switch is turned on. Okay. An introvert is somebody who gets their power internally, and then an extrovert is somebody who thrives off of a crowd around them. That's where they get their power. If I'm at a party, let's say with 40 people, I will be the quietest person at the party. After a while, I just I, I can't carry on small talk with 40 people. If I have a one-on-one or a group of like two or three people, I'm fine. But I just I'm not a social butterfly to be able to talk to a you know a, a ton of people. And when you do radio, you know you're in a studio, right? And it's it's easy. You know, and people who know me well, they know if the switch has been thrown, because I'll be really quiet. And then if I have to get up on stage, boom, you know, it's like the on-air light going on. You know, dance monkey. That's what you do, right? You know what it's like to get up, perform, right? Somebody throws a switch and you just go. That's the thing with radio and with performing. Um, it's just that when it's on, it's on. And everything else has to get pushed to the side. So that leaves a lot for your therapist to help you with because <laughs> right. you have to, to compartmentalize. And it's like, I just had a fight, but I still have a show. Or, you know, like you didn't get the thing that you wanted and you're crushed but you've still got to perform or whatever, you know? So I've always thought of myself as more of an extrovert. And as I get older, I I think I am more introverted than I believe I am because I was actually not super sad at points of the pandemic. Like, I'm like, well, no one can blame me for not doing anything now because I can't do anything. Did you ever get the thing like radio people get as a stand-up comic? Do you ever walk into like just somebody's house? Maybe somebody's having a party with like 10 or 12 people or something and People find out what you do. Do they ever yeah. say to you, well, be funny? You know, they want you to entertain the room. Yep. Do you get that? Oh, yeah, all the time. All the time. I'm, I'm dreading it in a in a month. I've got to go to a high school reunion. And the last high school reunion I went to, they, they, they came at me with the mic and announced I'd be doing some stuff without asking me. They uh. <laughs> said, I'm not doing that. I had to heal a lot of trauma just to bring myself here. <laughs> you know what you should do is you should uh, quote John Lennon because I, one time when the Beatles were being interviewed, the, I, I guess some of the reporters asked them if they would you know, sing something for them right then. And mm-hmm. John Lennon quickly quipped. He goes, well, we have to get paid first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. exactly. It's so a, it's it's a, what it's you a, should say. You're like, hey, write me a check. I'm happy to do anything you want. Mm-hmm. Yep. The tickets are $10 and it's a two-drink minimum. <laughs> two-drink minimum. This was the thing. I was always uh, very extroverted. I mean, you know, I needed the attention. Uh, somebody said that you are a walking, talking cartoon character. And my boss said uh, here, he goes, a lot of people, when they get on the radio, they try to have some sort of a character that they portray and they said, with Moon, there's no character needed. He's already that guy. So that's good. But I wanted to read this about Dom, okay? I'm on Amazon right now. It said, Dom Testa is the best-selling author of the Eric Swan thriller series, including the acclaimed debut, Power Trip. Uh, and then it talks a little bit about you by saying, 
The problem we as publishers have with Dom is that he's written in many other genres and he's published under so many different pen names, it's confusing. And we apologize for that. We try to get him to focus, but he just won't. Right? And I'm thinking to myself, if you're selling books for me, good for you. Say whatever you want. There have been a lot of people that we've had on the podcast that have taken that chance. They've put their feelings right from their heart or their brain or sometimes both, and they pin a novel or something like that. And then when we got together at this uh, reunion a while back ago, I'm thinking, so many people have told me to write a book. I'm thinking to myself, could I do it? How much work is involved? So then I got Dave Ryan from KDWB up here who's written a radio book, and I had him over to have a cigar. And I'm like, okay, Dave, so you put in the time, you had to spend the money to get it published or whatever, you know. Was it worth it to you? And he said, well, I made enough to pay all my expenses and then some. And he said, but it wasn't really about the money. It was more about the opportunity to express myself uh, in writing. And really for you, these children's books have been successful. You've written the Eric Swan stuff is working out. You've done other stuff. Do you realize that uh, Jimmy Buffett is my favorite artist of all time? You probably remember that about me. I do remember that. I am a freak for Buffett. He has written a bestseller uh, in both fiction and nonfiction. Yeah. And there are only six other authors who have actually ever written and won those awards. Hemingway being one of them, who is considered by most the best writer, who knows. But I mean, uh, and then you look at Buffett and the way he writes song lyrics. He's got two minutes and 30 seconds because a lot of his songs are short in order to draw a life story for you with, with words. And uh, Bob Dylan, acclaimed for being one of the best songwriters ever, he was asked, who's your favorite writer? He said, Jimmy Buffett. Hmm. And if you've read any of Buffett's stuff, he's a great writer. I mean, if you had to say you learned something from somebody you read a book of, you know, of their work, is there somebody that you just say, wow, that's great. That's something I got to, every time they do something, I got to read it. Probably. Uh, the list is so long because I admire so many different writers. Uh, I don't. I never can put my finger on just one. But I want to go back a couple of steps and tell you a couple of things. One, Dave Ryan, uh, there's not a whole lot of people in the industry that I you know, truly admire on a lot of levels. And he's one. He's a pro's pro, right? Yep. And uh, I don't know that I've ever met the man face to face, but I've, you know, I've, I've followed all that he has done and respect the hell out of everything that he's accomplished. Uh, such a long, how long has he been there at KDWB now? It's like, it's almost 30 years. Yeah. So pretty remarkable. So um, I just wanted to say that the other thing you were talking about, you know, maybe you have a book in you, right? And there are a lot of people who say that. I will tell you that out of everything that I've written, the 20-something books, there's one that I'm not going to say I'm most proud of it, but I would say that I'm extremely proud of it. And it's the only book I've ever dared to write about writing. And it's not a how-to book on how to write. It's more of a get-off-your-ass book is really what it is. It's, um, it's called The Color of Your Dreams. And the whole idea behind that book is that so many people want to write, but they either have fear about it or they have all this self-doubt that, oh, no matter, no, nobody's going to want to hear what I have to say or nobody's going to want to read a story idea that I have. Or if I write a memoir, nobody's going to be interested in it. And the whole idea behind that book, and it's not a real long book, it's like 160 pages or something. It's, it just breaks down in about 20 chapters all of the kind of mental BS that people go through that keeps them from writing. And that's one I'm, I'm really proud of. I've had a, a lot of people who have reached out and said, I, I just had a young man within the last two weeks send me Facebook messages saying, because of that book, I finally took an idea and I just got published this week. He wow. admittedly published it himself. And he says, I would never have done that if you hadn't essentially said, get off your butt and do it. It's called The Color of Your Dreams. And Moon, the subtitle of the book is Publish Your Damn Book Already. <laughs> I'm pulling it up right now. 
And it, it, I think it can help a lot of people who are just held, like you, maybe thinking, ah, why would I do that? Moon, I think you've got a treasure trove of stories. Yeah. And I'll bet, Tiffany, you've probably got a boatload of stories from all of your years of doing stand-up, both of you. You know, and, and for that matter, Pija could write a book on just what it's like living with Moon. Call it Moon Phases, Phases of the Moon. Right. There's a lot There's a lot there that we can do. Oh, man. I don't even know how much we can talk about. You know, if, the, the problem with Moon uh, and me when we get together is that we tend to reminisce a little bit too much. <laughs> but the, the stories, anytime I think of the days at Y108, which is, I mean, it's hard. It's weird to say this because I've been at Mix 100 for almost 30 years. But the best years of my life in radio were those six years at, at Y108. For every 10 stories I've got about those days, probably eight of them somehow involve Moon. <laughs> In fact, I'll tell you and your listeners, my favorite, one of my favorite stories that stands out is I was 25 years old when I got there and took, how old were you when you went to Y? I went to, it was 28. 28. So I'm 25 when I got there. And the first shift I'm going to do is 10 to midnight or whatever. So I'm coming in after this lunatic named Moon. I didn't know who the hell he was. I just knew the program director said, all right, you're going to be meeting the night guy, you know, when you go in for your first show tonight. He's a little different. <laughs> <laughs> I go walking in, you know, I think I'm going on at 10. I go walking in about, I don't know, 9.15 or something like that just to get the lay of the land. And I walk into the studio and here's this young stud on the air smoking a cigarette with his feet up on the counter. And after he says hi to me, he goes, this here's the liquor cabinet. <laughs> and he pulls open this cabinet, this lower cabinet where radio stations generally keep supplies. Yeah. He had, I think, a 12-pack in there <laughs> with half of them gone. And I thought, man. I have entered a whole new realm of radio, <laughs> and, I, and I never had more fun in my life. Uh, never yeah. had more fun in radio than those years working with, with Moon. <laughs> I can tell you this. This actually happened one Friday night at a kegger uh, at, my, at the radio station, right? What? <laughs> I had a kegger. We had a lake right behind the station, and, you know, there was a little area that you could pull a car all the way to the back of the building so you could like if you're an engineer you could get where our antenna was back there uh and we called it loon lake we actually would steal golf balls from practice ranges and then we'd drop them outside and we'd hit balls over the lake and we put you know yardage markers out there and it was just you know a nice little setting well you know when i'm at six to ten all the businesses closed down general manager leaves, engineers leave. It's just me. So I'm thinking, well, when I get some friends, I'll have a little party, right? And so the next thing I know, I tell some guys to go get beer. They come back and they've got a keg. And the next thing you know, we've got about 250 people behind the radio station drinking, right? And I'm on the air at the time. Well, 10 o'clock rolls around. I say, hey, Dom, it's all you. And I go outside where all my friends are partying or whatever. And uh, the evening continues and gets a little out of hand. So Monday, I'm in the general manager's office, and he wanted to know from me whose car was in the lake. We gave away a house. Nobody gives away a house. The cash budget for giveaways at Y108 was close to $1 million a year. We had a week where we gave away quarter of a million dollars in one week. I think it was over five days. It was outlandish. And radio doesn't do that anymore. Our logo was hit music, free money. That that was the slogan of the station. You got hit music and you got free money and had the best air staff. I mean, all pros all around the clock, man. It was a time when I was going through some pretty major addicting chemical issues. I witnessed it. <laughs> yeah, Dom would come in. I tried, you know, we used to have to uh, make edits in audio tapes by putting these 13-inch reels, and you'd record people's voices on them. But if you had anything you wanted to take out, you'd then have a grease pencil. You'd take that piece of grease, you'd mark the tape, and then you'd use a razor blade for, uh, you know, the edits so that you'd cut out whatever you didn't want on there, which was great. Uh, but, you know, my boss kept saying, 
where are all the razor blades? (laughs) (laughs) I'd use them for all my cocaine. Oh right? And he's like, you guys are going through more razor blades. We're, we're, we're out of straws in the break room again. What keeps happening? Where did all the spoons go? Well, I, don't know if, uh, I don't know if your wife knows this story, but I was uh, invited to Moon's 30th birthday party uh, at his house where there had to be 50, 60 people at least. And after the first hour, Moon and one of his buddies go out on a beer run. They're going to get a beer run and come back because we were running out of beer. It's only one hour into the party. So it's probably Saturday night, maybe 8 o'clock. They take off to go on a beer run. And they never came back. (laughs) It's his 30th birthday party. And he's got like 50, 60 of us there partying. He leaves to go get beer. And he and his buddy, I don't know where you, you probably don't even know where you got I don't know where I went. But he never showed up again until the next day. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. is right. Yeah. So finally, by about 1130 or so, the rest of us are like, I guess he's not coming home. (laughs) Well, I think I got sober. It was 30 years ago. Now, because, you know, I have multiple sclerosis and I'm just a mess. You know, I did get my third shot already. For those people that are watching to see how quickly the Biden administration gets that booster shot in. And now they're talking about eight months after the last one you had. Well, if you have an immune system that is uh, compromised, which I do, they're saying you can get the shot. So I went in yesterday and I took the shot and, uh, you know, fever went up, felt like crap for a while. Uh, But I hope now after my third test that I will have some antibodies because I've had no antibodies and the Delta variant is ripping this country a new one. We did have some people in uh, that are near to the Moon family who have been anti-vaxxers big time. Because of it, they haven't seen their grandkids in nearly a year and a half. Grandma and Grandpa are anti-vax, family with kids all about vax. Kids are too young to vaccinate, so they have stayed apart. And it's really caused a big uh, family thing. I'm glad that they're allowing, you know, people with immune systems that are compromised to take the the boosters. This thing ain't going away anytime soon. And I know Georgia's struggled and and hell everywhere struggled. Did you uh, get a vax or no, Dom? Yeah, uh, we got it as soon as we could. You know, it's interesting. The story you tell, too, is, you know, anytime the country goes through something that's difficult, there's two possibilities with families. It either brings them together or it rips them apart. Yep. And it doesn't really necessarily matter what that crisis is. It has one of those two effects. And, you know, you hope something like this will bring people together, but it's, you know, I don't know if it's just human nature that we have to disagree on things so severely. The example you gave, I mean, it's a, it's a flipping virus and that is enough to break some families apart because they just can't see eye to eye on how to handle that. And that is one of the heartbreaking things about this. Besides the horrific deaths and hospitalizations and the, you know, the, the health conditions that people have suffered, even if it hasn't killed them, there are people who have been completely jacked up by, by this disease. And you would think after all of that, you know, that, that people would come together. But I don't, like I said, I, sometimes it's just human nature. You know, we have to butt heads on things. And I think that's one of the heartbreaking elements of it. My son was supposed to have a party tonight. The shows airs on Friday, and, and you can download these shows on the Tom Bernard Network any darn time you want. Uh, we're also on Spotify and Apple Music. Share it and like it and get that done. You can write us at moonpjughobs at Gmail. For us, we were in Florida when COVID hit. We were at a golf resort, and it was early January, and all of a sudden, the president just came on and said, uh, there's some kind of a virus, but it's not going to be a, a big problem. And I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute, just the word virus doesn't sound good. The next thing you know, the governor of Florida has actually shut the border down because of all the people that were infected from Mardi Gras in, uh, in New Orleans. And if you take a look at it right now, you've got uh, the Delta variant. That's what my son 
who was totally vaccinated, just got. His party was supposed to be tonight. We've had to cancel it. We got people flying in from out of town. As a matter of fact, this is a little freaky for me. I have a guest coming in from out of town, and my wife will not tell me who the guest is. And all she told me was, go get your car washed. You haven't had it washed in a year. Get it vacuumed out. Get a haircut. Make sure you look nice because somebody's coming in. (laughs) And so I still don't know who this person is. But then I start thinking, what happens if I'm so excited to see him and they're an anti-vaxxer? I'm not going to have them in my house. When my son came over the other day and he on Monday then, he and I watched a golf tournament on Sunday and Monday, dad, I'm positive for COVID. My doctors told me, you're over 60, you're overweight, you have no immune system, you smoke, it's the perfect storm, you will perish. And I'm like going, whoa, that's intense. I said, so at this point in time, I'm not ever leaving the house. We thought we were at the finish line. And now look, we're pretty much back to square one in many places in the U.S., which is just dumb. I really wish that we did what other countries have had success doing, saying it's your body giving you the right to then decide what medicines you put in it. I get that. I support that. Okay. But if you want to go to a concert, you have to have a a vaccination card. Same with flying. I know somebody who's flying that has currently has COVID right now. That should be criminally liable. You know what I mean? Because you can actually get, let's say I know that I have an STD yeah. and I sleep with you and I don't disclose that. And that causes, you know, you to contract that. It's no different. There's legal precedent for that. That is ridiculous to me. Well, and listen to I'm what glad you said that uh, because I was going to ask what you were doing this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> When we were back in Denver, my wife had a huge crush on you, and she's brought your name up multiple times uh, since then. And, and, and then when I'm saying we're going to have Dom on the podcast, oh, she just melted. And I'm thinking to myself, That's, you know what? I was wondering why she was smiling so much more than she no. normally is in your presence. Oh. That's, that's she's she's been really smiling like the whole time. Well, I will just say it was a it was purely a mutual admiration society at that reunion too because I was like, and I don't know how Moon got this lucky, but uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm glad you're happily married. Then that's good. Then. I am most of the time. <laughs> I am most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's honest. It's honest. <laughs> I'm kidding. I am. He's a great guy. She had a crush on a TV weatherman up here as well. And she used to say about Dave Dahl, a friend of mine, oh, my God, he's even better looking than Kevin Costner. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so then I get uh, you know, uh, an opportunity to ask this guy that she's got a crush on, the TV weatherman, will you take a motorcycle ride with me this weekend? I have someone that would like to meet you. So then I put her on the back of my bike and we meet the weatherman. She's all, you know, drooling all over everything. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I'm thinking, and she looks around a lot. I mean, when you're in a relationship, you'd think you'd keep your eyes more focused on the guy in the wheelchair, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah, Dave and Dom, those are the, that's the two hotties, right? But, <laughs> but this is the truth, you know. I'm thinking to myself, would a woman uh, that's married to somebody with this severe of a disability ever have to worry? Because I don't believe there's a dating app for fat guys in wheelchairs, right? <laughs> and if there was, what the hell would you call it? No, but that's a good idea. Maybe there's money to be made. Did you watch Tim the Tool Man? I didn't watch it regularly, no, but I'm a, I'm familiar with it. Okay. Do you remember uh, he would look over his fence yeah. at a guy that you never saw? Right. You just saw, like, his eyes, right, the top right. of his head. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. Wilson. Was that his name? Yeah. So I came up with a character that I wanted to do an online version of a book, and maybe you could make money on this. I don't know what you could do with this idea, but... Uh, rather than like a, a Kindle download or an audio book, this would be like a book for kids that would be almost like a page-by-page comic book. The character has a name of Buck Naked. 
buck naked would always be found in different locations. You could do where's buck naked, buck naked at the Super Bowl, buck naked at the Vatican, right, or whatever. And he's naked. And he's naked, but you never see it. Right. Because he's always covered by a bush or a bus or whatever. And I would tell these stories sitting around our fire pit, the stories of buck naked. Right. And the kids were enthralled. You know, our boss's name was Seaman, for Christ's sakes. Right. So buck naked is nothing. That wasn't his choice. That was the last name he was given at birth. So let me just tell you a little story about buck naked. Okay. Sure. Once upon a time. On a cold, windy, dark Minnesota night, the child went to the store to get some candy. And along the way, there was a stirring in the bushes. The child heard the noises but didn't know what it was. All of a sudden, a dark image was spotted. Then two eyes that glistened in the moonlight. The child looked at whoever the person was, and said, who are you? The reply was, I'm buck naked. That's my name. Don't wear it out. (laughs) Right? The child, frightened, then runs to the convenience store, calls 911. (laughs) Calls 911. The police show up. There's a man running to the alleyway. How does this happen in America today? So that's the story of Buck Naked. It would not be dirty. It would just be weird. Well, I think the idea is fine. I would definitely hire an editor. Um, (laughs) But but the idea is probably a a million-dollar idea. So I do have a bit of a problem. If you, You said it was bitterly cold. And no man wants to think about being buck naked when it's really, really cold. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was shrinkage. I also wanted to ask you, after you know all this time in the air in Denver, when are you going to say, you know, I've done enough. I want to just write books or I just want to do something else. The last deal I signed would take me through my past my 30th anniversary on the show. Wow. I don't know the answer to that question. I've been asked a couple of times, but I guess when it stops being fun, and that's, I know that's a trite answer. And, you know, a lot of people use that, you know, no matter what industry they're in, you hear, you know, professional athletes say, well, I'm going to keep playing until I'm no longer having fun. And I still have a blast. Uh, The ratings are still sky high. It's still the number one rated show in Denver. I guess I could go out on top, you know, and, but I still enjoy doing it. And, you know, now that I get to sleep till six o'clock, it's a lot <laughs> easier to do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, they keep paying me to come in. I keep coming in and having laughs and the listeners seem to have a good time. And so at least for the next couple of years, I won't be going anywhere because I'll just keep writing the books, you know, after 12 noon. How long does it take to write a book start to finish? And I know they're probably very. It varies completely. There are some people who write their books in you know two weeks, and I personally am a little skeptical of the quality of those. That's just me. People can disagree. Quickest I've ever written, uh, one of the Eric Swan novels, which um, those are for adults. Those are spy novels. The quickest was about two and a half months. But then, you know, there's an editing process and a rewrite. So like, the first draft was done in about 10 weeks. But that's a lot of, you know, butt in the chair and really focusing and getting it done. I am almost in the process of recording my next project. And I know you're going to think this is dark, but you know me. I'm recording my own funeral. That sounds just like you. (laughs) I am recording my own funeral. So imagine walking into uh, a celebration of life, if you will. And I've got a golf course right down the street here that we're booking. I've got two guys in charge of my funeral. There's a $5,000 chunk of money sitting ready to pay for everything in my will. It's all in writing, ready to go. I'm thinking about starting with this. Okay, so people gather at a certain time. There might be a drum roll. (laughs) Or I'm just going to say, 
What up, bitches? <laughs> I like the idea. I would bump the budget up to ten to fifteen thousand because there'll probably be a bar, a big bar. Hey, you know, pick a book. If you had to read, uh, tell us, uh, recommend a book. What what should we read? You've got some good ones out there, but if you had to pick one of mine, uh, nonfiction, I would go do the color of your dreams because that would inspire people to be creative. Uh, fiction, I would go with the first Eric Swan novel if you like spy thrillers because I, the the te- some reviewer referred to it as James Bond meets Deadpool. <laughs> and I loved that. And I grasped that. I mean, as soon as I saw them write that, it was posted. I said, oh, I'm taking that. Yeah. Because it's got a, there's a lot of sense of humor to this novel, but it's, it's a spy thriller. But with that, so I would go with Power Trip, the uh, first Eric Swan novel. And then if somebody else's, the book that I've enjoyed the most this year, um, did you ever read um, Andy Weir's book, uh, The Martian, which was turned into that, uh, the movie with um, Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Yeah, yeah. I never read the book, but I'm familiar with the movie. Okay, so that author put out a book this year that is just fantastic, but I'll put a caveat onto it. It's called Project Hail Mary. It's a science fiction book, but Project Hail Mary, but it's in the same kind of vein of humor that he had in The Martian. But the, the caveat is, is I strongly recommend that people listen to the audiobook version. Because it's a spoiler if I tell you why, but the way they handle a particular voice comes across beautifully. And I loved that book. Um, so that's my recommendation. Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir, W-E-I-R. There you go. I am being told that we have to go eat. Well, have a have a great dinner. And thank you very, very much for inviting me to your party here tonight. I've really enjoyed the, the time and it was great meeting you, Tiffany. And great to see my girlfriend, P-Jug. Hugs and kisses. Hugs and kisses. Moon, you uh, have always been and will continue to be the best. So thank you, sir. It was great to see you. All right. Thank you very much. You. Nice to meet you. That's episode 20 of Moon, P-Jug, and Hobbs. It's time to end the podcast. It's time to shut off the mics. It's time to end the podcast and get a thousand likes. You need to share this podcast with friends in cars or bikes. It's time to end the podcast and get a thousand likes. Why do you always listen? I guess we'll never know. A fat guy in a wheelchair. What the f*** does he know? It's time to end the podcast. It's time to get some likes. Go to your computer, type it in, and you're going to win. We are out of lyrics in Boopie Jug and Hogs. That was wonderful. Bravo. I loved that. That was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, It could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Get him away. Hey, boo. Boo. Let's put this show out of its misery. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.